24 years old, I had just gotten a new job, and I was very excited about it. I had to go for six weeks of training in Florida, and the training was done. I was getting on an airplane to fly back to the West Coast, and I sat down on the plane next to that guy that you don't want to sit by. You know the one that he immediately was like, hello, what are you doing? What? Welcome to the row, and What's your name? Here's my name. What are you up to? Were you at Disney World? Were you here with fun? Were you seeing family or working? So we kind of are getting into it, having this conversation. He's so happy that I'm there. And uh, I say to him, I I'm really excited, actually. I just finished six weeks of training in my job. I'm starting a new job. And he was like, that's wonderful. What's your job? And I said, I'm a missionary. And he was like, oh. And he got the uh, in-flight magazine. And he opened it up, and he read it for six hours. <laughs> and that was my first time. That was my lesson, that maybe when I said missionary, that uh, it's like a predator entering the woods. Like, all the birds are tweeting, the bugs are happy, and then they're like, shh, a missionary is here. Everyone quiet, and maybe he won't notice us. Which, I don't know. I don't know what this guy was worried about. It's not like I was going to... Well, actually, I might have. But, but, you know, it was like this weird moment where you realize what we all realize living where we live is that sometimes you're doing this calculated, this kind of mental calculus of uh, when, when do I give people the news that I'm a Jesus follower? When do I let them know? When is it okay? Is it, you know, in the first five minutes we talk, is it 13 years after we've been working together? Like, when do I tell them, you know how every Sunday my car leaves in the morning? I'm actually going to church. Or for those watching at home on the internet, hello, we're glad you're here. When do you tell your roommate, that wasn't Netflix I was watching last week, that was church. It's, uh, it's a moment that you feel like you might be risking relationship sometimes, uh, that you get nervous about. And it wasn't any different for the people in Philippi. Well, a little different. The internet was very new then. Uh, but other than that, not that different. The Philippians, the people that the book of Philippians was written to, the believers there lived in a context where in the city of Philippi, people worshipped a lot of different gods. Uh, so there was uh, some that you know from their television shows or movies like Hercules, uh, or Diana, and then there were others that we don't really know their names anymore, Liber and uh, Libra, and there were some Egyptian gods. We know there were at least 150 Egyptian gods worshipped in a temple there at that time, and there was, of course, my favorite, 
the Thracian horseman, who hasn't got his TV show yet, but he was cool. He would like ride a horse to show you the way to the afterlife. And apparently he was from Thrace, so that's how he got his name. Uh, and in the midst of this, the Christians would probably be fine if they just said, I worship this God who is Jesus. And they would have said, oh yeah, that's one of the weird provincial gods, one of the like little gods from across the ocean, right? But instead, often Christians were saying things like, uh, they'd say, who do you believe in? Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Who's that? The one true God. What do you mean by that? Uh, you know, the real God, the one God, all the other gods are fake. And then suddenly people had issues, you know, and they were picking up their in-flight magazines, and it just got awkward for everyone. So we're going to talk some about that today. What does Paul say to people who are living in this context that's so similar to ours about how do you live a life as a Jesus follower in the midst of that? Uh, and for those of you who are here who maybe you're, you're guests or it's your first time, you're not a follower of Jesus and you were like, let's go figure out what church is like, you're really welcome here. We're so thankful you're here, glad that you're here. And our job, what we should hope, is to just be friendly and kind to you and make sure you know that you're welcome here. So if you have questions about things that are happening or why different things are done, please don't hesitate to ask. Just be honest with us and we'll be honest with you. But all that to say, we're glad you're here. We're thankful you're here and you're welcome to keep coming here as long as you like, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. So let's look in the Bible, in the book of Philippians, uh, chapter one. A little earlier, we mentioned that you can get these journals in the back, which is true for everyone except for the people online. I'm not sure if there's one in the back for you, but you're welcome to look in the back of your room and just see. There might be. We don't know. Let us know. Please send emails letting us know. Philippians 1, and we're going to start in verse 20, where Paul says this. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So he says, I don't want to be ashamed of Jesus. I want to have the courage that whether I live or die, that people look at my life and they say, I'm learning something about Jesus, the goodness of Jesus. And he says, because for me to live is Christ. I'll keep working and doing the things God asks of me. And to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, it'll mean fruitful labor for me. I'll keep working for God. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. Which is one of, this is this weird moment. Pastor Jeremy last week was telling us how uh, Paul is a little different than your average person. So last week we were talking about how he prayed. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And Pastor Jeremy was saying, who is that person that every time you pray for them, it's always with joy? And Paul's saying, I pray for all of you with joy. That seems unlikely. Well, here Paul's saying, I don't know whether I want to live or die. I'm just not sure. And I'm like, I know what I want to do. Like, I want to live. And that's cool. I understand that you have questions, but that seems weird to me. So he goes on, though. He goes, what shall I choose? Death or life? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. On the one hand, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain here in the body. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain here 
with you, and I'll continue with all of you in your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. And one of the things I love about what Paul says here when he's talking about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in a place like Philippi or a place like the Portland area, what he says at the very beginning, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage. So one of the things he says is don't be ashamed. You don't need to hide it. Don't, don't be worried about how it'll come across. Now, what this doesn't mean, so like when I was in college, I had a T-shirt that had the planet Earth on it, like Mother Earth, and the T-shirt said, my father made your mother, which that's just being a jerk, <laughs> right? So Paul's not saying be a jerk. He's saying just don't be ashamed. You don't have to go out there and be mean to people or like make fun of them or, and the way they see things, but don't be ashamed either. Just be upfront, like, yeah. I'm a follower of Jesus. And what this could look like, right? It doesn't mean, so when I get on a plane now, I don't start conversations by saying, hello, I'm a missionary. Because it stops conversations. People don't want to talk to missionaries. Or if they do, something is weird. And, and it's not a fun conversation for any of us. Uh, so what I say now is that I tell people, they say, what do you do? And I say, I'm a chaplain for ordinary people. Uh, because the chaplains have built up a lot of goodwill that the missionaries have not. Uh, so I steal that from the chaplains. So what I say is I'm a chaplain for ordinary people. Because when people think of chaplains, what they think is a chaplain with soldiers, right, is going to go out on the battlefield with you. And when you have spiritual needs, they're there to support you and help you. A chaplain with police officers goes out when a police officer has to make a hard uh, announcement to a family of something terrible that's happened. The chaplain is there to help, to work through things, and to be a spiritual resource. So when I'm on a plane and I say, I'm a chaplain for ordinary people, what happens a lot of times is people say, what do you mean by ordinary people? And I say, you know, people like you and me. And they say, okay, great, because I have some things I need to talk about with someone. And it turns into this spiritual conversation as they're sharing questions, thoughts, challenges, difficulties with me. So, so not being ashamed does not mean, hey, let me just roll out and say the most difficult things possible to you to start the conversation. It just means let's be upfront about who we are and who we follow. And that's where Paul starts. He says, as followers of Jesus, don't be ashamed, but have courage. And he goes on from there. Uh, so in verse 27, he says this. He talks about living worthy of the gospel. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What does that mean, live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ? Well, we have to talk then, what is good news about Jesus? Because gospel just means good news. So live a life worthy of the good news. What does that mean? Well, the good news is pretty clear. The good news is that God made every human being on the earth in God's image and that they are worthy of respect, that they are worthy of love. And in fact, Scripture is very clear that God loves humanity. God loves human beings. God loves you. God loves me. God loves the people around us. And in fact, loves us so much that Jesus became human and lived among us 
and died and rose again from death to give us an opportunity to be closer to God, to be in uh, intimate relationship with God because he loves us. He wants to be with us. So that's good news. What does it mean to live my life worthy of that? Well, uh, just, just think for a moment. You know that person at work or at school that uh, really just makes you mad? You know, just picture them in your head. You know who I'm talking about? Now just say their name aloud. No, don't do that. Just kidding. Oh, for those of you on the internet, I'm sorry if you just said it aloud and it was your roommate. Uh, and I hope you're able to work through that. Uh, Imagine that person. What does it mean to live a life worthy of the good news in relationship to this person that makes you angry all the time? Well, it means to remember that they're made in the image of God. It means to remember that they're loved by God and that because they are loved by God, they should also be loved by us, right? Now, I'll give you an example. Sometimes, does anyone have that problem when you see something wrong on the internet and you feel like you need to correct it immediately and you fight people online? Is it just me? It's literally just me. Okay, okay, good. It's the two of us. We're going to do it. We're going to fix the internet. Sometimes my wife will say, I'm going to bed now. And I'll say, oh, I'll, be I'll be right up. And then I'm like, I'm just going to check Facebook. And then I'm like, and now I must fix all of the wrong things that my friends think. <laughs> like, my comment surely will change their mind. Uh, and, the, you know, I'll need to spend 40 minutes. This last week, there was a brother in Christ who wrote an article that uh, I feel like is deeply misguided and even uh, potentially damaging to other people in the faith. And, and so I was looking at it, and I was like, you know, my job as a Christian now is to completely crush this person for Jesus uh, <laughs> with the weight of Scripture. You know, I'm just going to mash him to pieces and praise Jesus. Uh, and I start working on my response, right? How I'm going to absolutely eviscerate this person. Uh, and as I'm doing it, I suddenly come to this moment as I'm reading his article several times to kind of get ready for what needs to be said in response. I realize that what's happening is this guy's experiencing growing pains in public. He's sharing what he's thinking and feeling because he's dealing with something internally. And I don't know exactly what it is, but I realize I don't know this guy. And here, my, I think the best thing is to destroy him. So instead, what I did is I prayed about it and thought about it, is I sent him a note privately, and I said, hey, man, I don't know what's going on, but it seems like you could use a friend. And I disagree with you about a lot of things, but the offer stands. If you want a friend, just let me know. Let's be friends. Let's get to know each other. And the shift you see happening in my heart there right, is from this place of, I'm going to break this person because they're wrong, toward a place of saying, what if we could have actual relationship and we could work together on moving toward the right place to, to knowing what is right? And what, what's great about that is that probably, given how diverse and how different our thoughts are on a variety of topics, that he could, as we're in relationship, recognize things about me that are broken and messed up and help me move toward Jesus too. It's very likely. So part of living a life worthy of the gospel is being aware of the world around us and living as if the good news about Jesus is actually true, not just for us, but for the people around us. So when I see someone suffering, when I see someone crying at the grocery store, what does it mean to live a life 
worthy of the good news about Jesus in that moment. And that's what Paul is calling us to. So he says, don't be ashamed. Uh, and he says, live a life worthy of the good news, which one of the things I love about it is it, that's really what your vision statement is about for this church, right? That we give of ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. That what we're saying is I'm going to live my life in a way that you can understand that it's not just theological constructs about Jesus, but there is good news about Jesus for you because I'm in your life. And Jesus has changed something in me and offers things to you. It's beautiful. So live a life worthy of the gospel. Don't be ashamed. And then Paul says, and remember that you're not alone. Not only not ashamed, but not alone. So he says, uh, then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. We need to be in this together. And as Christians, we have a special uh, ability to build walls between each other. I was part of a church once that the denomination started because the original church they were in got in a fight over whether you need to stand up uh, when the scripture is read. And some of the church said, absolutely, you must because it's respectful. And the other part of the church said, that's legalistic. And so they decided to form a new church over this question. And the church I joined, that was the sitters. Uh, and they were always like, those legalists always standing up. We only stand if we feel led by the Spirit. And these guys over here were saying, those people have no respect for God. How terrible. And that's what we do, right? Is that we say, like, this is what it means to follow Jesus, a Christian. And then we start going more and more narrow. Like, are you a Christian or are you a Christian? Are you a Christian are you like me? Yeah? And we lose all the rest of these people. One time, this young woman came up to me and said, she was doing evangelism, and this isn't my favorite opening line for evangelism, but it does sometimes work. She said, are you a Christian? And I said, yeah, I am. And she said, but are you a born-again Christian? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, but have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? And I was like, I'm... I'm not sure anymore. Like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I thought we were on the same page, but now I don't know. And she's like, okay, let me tell you. So she launches into her whole presentation. Uh, and mostly what she was saying was, I want to make absolutely sure that you're on the precise same page with me, which is okay. But she was doing it in a way that, like, created boundaries between us for no reason. And, and because I'm a guest speaker and I can say whatever I want this week, um, and because I'm a fast runner, and I've seen how you all exit a building, and I know I can beat you. <laughs> so for those of you at home, we had a fire alarm earlier. It was just like the early church, like there were flames on people's head, and then the alarm went off, and we had to leave. Um, because I'm a stranger here, I can say this. Uh, oftentimes, some of our splits in the church, the places where we decide if someone is truly following Jesus or not in the American church is on the politics of the people around us, which is to say uh, we all have different opinions about who should be locked up, yeah? Uh, and we can disagree on who needs to be locked up and still follow Jesus well. 
there are people who I deeply love who love Jesus who voted wrong. Yeah? <laughs> and I don't want them teaching my kids how to vote. Uh, but that doesn't mean they're not following Jesus. And it doesn't mean we can't work together to follow Jesus. So we have to be careful that we don't put our politics before Jesus, which it, we're tempted to do all the time. So let's be cautious. Let's be careful with that. So Paul says, don't be ashamed. Live a life worthy of the gospel. And, and then he says, don't be alone. You don't have to do this alone. And he goes on from there to say, you don't need to be afraid. And then I'm going to read verse 27 again, but we'll go from there. He says, then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit. There's only one spirit of God striving together as one, the church, for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him. He's given you this gift of belief, but he also has given you this other gift also to suffer for him. Thanks, Paul. Uh, since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So, so Paul says, don't be ashamed Live a life worthy of the gospel. And, and then he goes on to say, don't be alone. And now he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. One of the things I love doing when I'm talking to people about Jesus is I like to find the person who's furthest away from Jesus to share the gospel with. Because I figure if they're that far away, no matter what I say, I'm not going to mess them up. Right? Right? Like when someone's like, I'm a deeply devout atheist. I'm like, let me talk to you about Jesus. And we get done and I say, now what do you say? And they're like, I'm a deeply devout atheist. I'm like, okay, so we're still at the same place. That's fine. I didn't destroy anything. Um, but my friends know this, right? Like that my specialty, what I love is talking to people who are far, far from Jesus and just seeing them move the right direction. And one day uh, I was out with my missionary buddies and we were doing this thing that everyone doesn't like, which is talking to strangers about Jesus, right? And we're walking around on the streets of St. Augustine, Florida. It's one of, the, uh, er, one of my early days as a missionary. And one of my other sweet little missionary friends comes running up and she goes, Matt, Matt, I just, I know you're going to be excited, but I, I just talked to someone you're going to want to meet. And I was like, oh, yeah? Who is it? She's like, I met a Satanist. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> a Satanist? Where? And so she takes me to come meet this Satanist. His name's Lance. He's homeless. He's wearing all black, long, long, stringy hair, and like really scary eyes. And I said, uh, Lance, let's, let's have a meal. Do you want some lunch? He's like, yeah. So we go and we sit and we're eating and we're having this good spiritual conversation. He's telling me all about his spirit guides and different ways that he connects with, uh, you know, in the spiritual realms and all this stuff. And I'm talking about Jesus. And at a certain point he goes, hey, I guess something's weird. And I said, what is it, Lance? What's weird? He goes, you don't seem afraid of me. And I was like, why, why would I be afraid of you? He goes, because I have a lot of spiritual power. And I was like, well, eh, I don't know, Lance. I mean, it's not like you don't have any spiritual power, but I mean, eh. And he goes, most people are afraid of me, and they should be. I was like, should they, though? And, and he was like, 
he was like, man, the way you talk about Jesus, I, I almost understand what you're saying. I almost could follow him. But if you could get in an argument and beat this one friend of mine in a spiritual conversation, I would definitely follow Jesus. I was like, let's go find your friend. And he was like, okay. So we start going, and he starts leading me down all these back alleys, like all these little spaces between, you know, like we're squeezing past dumpsters and stuff. And I start to go, I may have made a mistake. <laughs> like, I don't know Lance very well. Maybe it's like a sacrifice day for Satanists. I, I don't know. What have I done? No one knows where I am right now. So I keep following him, and he brings me into this little... Uh, space between buildings where there's a, a strip of grass and a tree. And he turns and looks at me and he goes, huh? Like that. And I was like, Lance, I don't know what's happening right now. And he says, my friend is the spirit who lives in the tree. And I was like, oh, Lance, I mean, all I need is a hatchet. And, <laughs> and he goes, I will kill you. And I was like, or, or we could just talk. You know, let's just talk to the tree. So we sit down and we continue our conversation. And we get pretty deeply into it. And he's legitimately considering whether to follow Jesus. And what he keeps saying over and over is, I don't understand why you're not afraid. And I keep telling him, Lance, I have nothing to be afraid of. Because the God who I follow, Jesus, he's not just a spirit. He's the spirit. He's the one who made everything, including your spirit guide, including you, including this tree, including me. And what are you going to do to me? And he was deeply troubled by that. Now, he didn't come to Christ that day, and I haven't been in touch with him since. Uh, but I really do believe that, that that moment of not being afraid was something that helped him to see there was something different about us. Because someone like him, the reason he's working in spiritual realms the way that he is is because he wants power. Because power will keep him safe, he thinks. Not realizing that there's a greater power that we don't control, but who does keep us safe in a really different way. And part of what Paul is saying when he starts talking about suffering, following Jesus doesn't mean we won't suffer. Of course we will. We still live in this world. We're still going to have terrible things happen to us. We still may participate in terrible things. But what God says is, you may be afraid for a moment, but there are so many times where we would expect human beings to be terrified that the people who are following Jesus are not because of the good news about who Jesus is. So when they suffer, when they struggle, why is it that the Christians are not afraid and not ashamed of their God? So Paul says, don't be ashamed. Live a life worthy of the gospel. Don't be alone. We're in this together. Don't try to cut others off who are followers of Jesus. Participate together. And then he says, don't be afraid. And one of the things today at one if you want to stick around or come back, we're going to do a training about how to talk to people about Jesus, anyone, no matter where they are, how to find how to share the good news with them right here at One. Anyone's welcome. It's free. We're just going to hang out and talk about that. But let me wrap up with this. Last week, Pastor Jeremy said something I think is really profound. He said this, and I'm going to read it so I get the exact words here. He said, many of you are bored in your spiritual life 
because you're not following the call of Jesus. And he says, if you choose to follow Jesus, it will be one of the most terrifying things you've done, and it will bring you joy. And one of the things I I think is important to understand about Paul coming to the people of Philippi, he had come to them years before and now was writing a letter to them, just encouraging them on what they needed to do, where they needed to go. That they're in this difficult place, and he's saying, don't be ashamed. Live a life worthy. Don't be alone. Don't be afraid. But how did Paul originally come to them? Well, he didn't want to. They weren't on his strategic plan. It wasn't like, let's hit these six cities, and of course, Philippi is one of them. Actually, he and his companions were trying to go somewhere else, and the Scripture says that the Spirit of Jesus prevented them. It wasn't like border patrol or something like that. The Spirit of Jesus came and said, not them, not right now, and not you. And so they stopped, and they waited for further instruction. And what happened was relatively soon, Paul had a vision or a dream uh, in which a man came to him in the dream and said, I'm from Macedonia, this other area. Please come and help us. And so Paul and his friends did. They left and went to Macedonia. They followed the call to that place. And one of the first cities they came to was Philippi. And one of the first people they came to was a woman named Lydia who was a merchant there and ended up becoming basically the founding member of a church, which met in her house. So Paul went to Philippi because the people of that area were praying and saying, please come help us. And God answered their prayer. And so many times what we think here where we live is that people are praying, dear God, let them not talk to me. Let them not reveal that they are Christians or missionaries or whatever it is they are. I don't want that. But I don't think that's true. My experience says it's not true. As I talk to the people in this area, what I hear most often as we start talking about spiritual things, if they know that you love them, if you're not acting like you're ashamed of what you believe. If you're living a life that's worthy of the good news, which means that they are being loved by you and told by you God loves you and there are good things to come in this, that when we're together and not separated by things like politics, that uh, when we're not afraid to have the conversation, what most people are saying is not please stay away. They're saying, please, please come help me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the people in this room and online who are followers of Jesus. And I pray you would help all of us not to be ashamed, not to be afraid, not to be alone or feel alone, but to live a life worthy of this good news you've given to us. And I pray for the people around us at work, in our families, in our community, in our neighborhoods, that you would give us courage to be people who speak truth and love in the midst of those things and that we would answer the call, the call that says, please, come help us. In your name, amen.